and it is 2 p.m. Saturday, July the 4th, and at uh, Central Standard Time, you're listening to Altitude Adjustment. I'm Leon Davis. It's the podcast uh, talking about people, politics, and professions. Thank you very much. Whoa, I got a big echo. Can you guys hear the echo too? Hello? Okay, so anyway, um, so it is the week, the fourth, of, the fourth of July weekend, and okay, wow, we're gonna really, we're gonna really need a production director, and um, hold on, I think I know what the problem is. So I, we're we're at, we've added a, a streaming channel, we've added Twitch, I've added Twitch. And uh, I wanted to make sure when you when I make changes and I do something new, I want to make sure that the old didn't break. So I had a um, a window open that was giving giving me feedback. It was I was hearing myself talk. So anyway, coming up, um, we are uh, going to talk a little bit about Fourth of July, and then we have a, a special guest today who's going to help us in dealing with uh, some of the um, issues that we may have, uh, mental health issues that we may have during this uh, COVID shut-in, but she's going to talk about her, uh, the Roach theory. This is, uh, this is her own theory, and I'll let her tell us more about that, and that's coming right up. Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. Okay, gang. Uh, thank you for joining me this afternoon. Leonard, you there? Yes, I'm here. All right. Warren, you there? I am here. Okay. So our guest today is Kim Ferguson. I'll tell you a little bit more about her uh, in just a moment. Um, but I did want to mention that Uh, we, I did want us to, to take a couple of minutes since this is the 4th of July weekend. And, and I think we have a really unique experience because of what's been going on in our politics and our society today. Um, one of the videos that I saw this morning was of uh, descendants of Frederick Douglass reading his 4th of July speech. Are you guys familiar with that speech? A little bit. I was listening. I've heard to of it. Yeah, on the radio today about it. Yeah. So. So when I think about it, I mean, I think we're really going to have to have a lot of discussions about about how we see our society and, and where we go from here. Um, so I, I, I originally thought, you know, wish everyone a happy Fourth of July, and then I'm thinking about. Um, the issue that uh, what what does the Fourth of July really represent? Because a lot of Black people don't feel represented by the Fourth of July, and America was a country before we became a country. Would you disagree? It yeah, was the country for the for the people that were here first, and you got to remember at the time. 
let's just say the Star Spangled Banner and all that was written, uh, people of our descent, African American descent, weren't considered people in the Constitution that is the highest law of this land. We were called property. When it came to the census, we were only counted as five sevenths of a person. I understand that, and I'm just, I'm just saying. Do so, so there are people who question whether we should be celebrating the Fourth of July at all. And and where where would you where do you stand on the celebration of the Fourth of July? As for me especially with this idea of popping fireworks and what have you. As a former firefighter in the city of St. Louis, I could care if we never see another firework again. Okay, so I you're... Think our, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think, our, I think our celebration of freedom is incomplete, I'll say, when we still have people in this country that are denied freedom based upon their racial makeup. I think it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. Anything you going you want to add, uh, Warren? Well, I mean, you know, like you said, uh, when this nation became a nation, what really changed for us, for as black people? I mean, even going back to the Constitution, you know, nothing really changed for us. So I don't do the fireworks. It's no big celebration for me. I just live from day to day, uh, being grateful that I'm here and alive. Did you want to add anything, Kim? I think the current climate has us reevaluating everything we've previously taken for granted to see what kind of institutional uh, bias or racism we're endorsing by participating in certain activities. Um, I like some of the principles, religious freedom and things like that. Um, but it's no secret that some of us are more free than others and equity is the road we have before us. So, um, and I understand that and I guess that's, that's kind of where I, where I am. Um, one of the things that I'm going to try to do is we're trying to, currently in the process of trying to put together a conversation with several people to look at some of the um, ideas of where we are politically, where we are societally in America, and you know how, how we got here, where do we go from here? I, I think it's a really interesting time, and there's a golden opportunity and a, a real challenge to define, as, as Kim has just said, um, all the things that we've took, taken for granted now we can no longer take them for granted. Um, the, the, the climate has changed. And one of the things I believe is that um, the truth uh, can't be ignored. It requires activity. You can no longer just know the truth and continue to do things as you did before. So let me introduce my guest, our guest today. She has a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in social work from Mizzou. University of Missouri Columbia. She is a licensed clinical social worker and she provides services for the St. Louis County Department of Health and the Grief Share Ministry of the Bethesda Temple Church here in St. Louis where she is a licensed minister. 
Kim has a master's degree in theological studies from Urshan Graduate School of Theology and is a published author, presenter, and trainer. So welcome, Kim. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, one of the, the questions that I, I had was published, you are published. Tell me, tell me a little yes. bit about that. It's on, um, I used to work with patients with sickle cell disease and the article was about the educational attainment of patients with sickle cell disease who have a risk of stroke, overt and silent and how it impacts their educational attainment. So uh, the article in School Health was a culmination of research that we had done and suggestions we were making uh, to incorporate uh, uh, an individualized education plan for these students because they can look just fine, but be experiencing silent strokes. I think we found that a fourth of that population would experience a silent stroke, which just means it impacts their ability to do executive functioning and to reason, and it gets in the way of academics and just them making sound decisions. And so bringing that into the picture so that educators and nurses could know how to care for these school, these students within the school system. Oh, very good. Um, is there is where can someone, if they were interested in finding this, where would they be able to go to look that article up? Or that's that it's in, writing. I believe the journal is School Health, and it's the name of it is the education the educational attainment of patients with sickle cell disease. And I am the first author, K.L. Ferguson. Very good. Okay, so today, we're this is um, uh, another one of your um, uh, personal uh, efforts. You're going to talk about the Roach theory. Can you kind of give me um, a bird's eye view of what what the Roach theory? The Roach theory, in my mind, exemplifies one's approach to life and how one deals with those pesky little creatures can have implications for personality style and how one sees the world. Okay, and so um, Kim is about to give us a presentation about uh, her Roach theory, and this is this is your theory, correct? Yes, it is. And uh, so we're gonna leave open the chat and if you have, so we're, we're not gonna invite people to come into the conversation today, um, but you can go to the uh, YouTube live or you, uh, YouTube channel and uh, type your questions into the live chat. And at the end of our presentation, we'll make sure that those get presented. And so right now, uh, Kim, it's your show. All right, thank you. The Roach Theory. So as I said, they're pesky little creatures. They're unwanted. They can travel alone or be an intrusion, which a group of them is called. 
ways people respond to an intrusion or an infestation can be an indicator of some other issue at play. Some declare war, do everything to exterminate them. It's clearly obvious that the roaches are unwanted and others may seem to barely notice the roaches. And I thought it all has to do with one's locus of control. So locus of control is actually a psychological concept that, re that refers to how strongly people believe they have control over the situations and experiences that affect their lives. And it was originally coined in 1954 by Julian B. Rotter. And he continued to work, he and his students over the years, and we'll see one of his slides in just a bit. But there are two types of locus of control. The plural is loci, and they're internal or they're external. So as you can see in this particular slide, they've correlated the degree to which a person believes they have control over their lives with their successors and failures in school tasks. So for those with an internal locus of control, this person believes that his or her successes are due to factors within their own control. Their behavior is guided by his or her personal decisions and efforts. Conversely, a person with an external locus of control believes his or her successes or failures are due to factors outside their own control. Behavior therefore is guided by fate, luck, or external circumstances. And we'll talk in a little bit about how this impacts how they go about doing business and how they continue to actualize this in their lives. So here in 1966, Rotter comes back and says that if my locus of control is internal, I'm thinking that I'm controlling the consequences of my behavior. And those people have better academic achievements, better interpersonal relations, greater efforts to learn, positive attitudes to exercise, lower cigarette smoking, lower hypertension and heart attacks. The external behaviors are outside of your control. So they're more resigned to conditions as they are. There's a lower effort to deal with health and lower levels of psych adjustment. But in non-responsive environments, there's a greater sense of satisfaction. So if I'm in an environment that reinforces the way I feel about life as one can do during this COVID pandemic, uh, we can even bring in the civil unrest that's going on. And if you're a resident of Ferguson, Missouri, you're experiencing this, experiencing this a little differently than someone living in Wildwood. So there's more of a sense that why try, never uh, things don't go as I plan. So I can just be okay not trying because nothing has ever worked before. So here's just a little graphic. There's a, a great, a huge difference between I make things happen and there's nothing I can do about my future. And I'm sure that we can think of some situations or people or circumstances where if you're an African-American male in certain urban settings, 
very often you don't think you're going to live to be in an old age, not when the people around you are subject to violence and drive-by shootings. So we'll talk about this a little bit more, but there are things that happen on different levels that all affect this. It doesn't uh, germinate in a test tube all by itself. There are definite causal properties. Uh, the person, look at what I can do because I'm making things happen and I determine my future. And even one of my favorite authors is Jawanza Kungju Fu. And he wrote the book, The Conspiracy to Destroy Black Boys. And he talks about at the very beginning of uh, uh, African-American boys' life in kindergarten, he's up front, he's interacting, he's raising his hand, he's a part of what's going on. But by third grade or fourth grade, the boy is in the back of the room, sullen and unresponsive. So he addresses what needs to be done to counter this conspiracy. And uh, some of it is rooted in just the way that school systems work. They're catered to the success of girls and how they learn more than boys. So the issues that we're dealing with are very systemic and there is a cultural a community and a societal response to this. The person with the external locus of control uh, very often isn't present in their own lives and they wonder why bother or they may think everything always happens to me. And the danger with an external locus of control is that you're not present and either the desire to make things different or your belief that things can be different for whatever reason no longer exists for you. So protective factors, a characteristic that exists at the biological, psychological family or community level that is associated with lower likelihoods of problem outcomes, or it actually reduces the impact of negative factors on problem outcomes. So it's, it's uh, if you will, your superpower. It's Captain America's shield. What's protecting me so that the things coming at me don't have the desired effect? Some protective factors, problem solving skills, positive adult role models, coaches, mentors. I think even as adults, we should have coaches and mentors, and we should have people that we're mentoring. Healthy prenatal and early childhood development, participation in traditional healing and cultural activities, good peer group support and friends, steady employment. Now we're starting to get into some of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If I'm worried about, if I'm food insecure, if my, uh, utilities aren't on if um, I'm not sure where the next meal is coming from, those all affect my ability to get to the top of that pyramid and be self-actualized. So what the Roach therapy is talk theory is talking about are the things that get in the way of us reaching the peak and becoming self-actualized. So more protective uh, services, are they available in your area? We talk about certain communities being food deserts. Um, all of this has to do 
with it's either a protective factor or something we're going to talk about in a bit. Positive attitudes, values, or beliefs, these are all protective factors. Good conflict resolution skills. Good mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional health. Let me go um, success at school. So there were two students. The first, they both failed the test. The first student with an internal locus of control said, you know, I can do better than this. I'll do better, I'll study more, maybe I'll take a tutorial. I can do better than this. The person with an external locus of control is like, I'm just dumb, I'm never gonna get it, why even try? So same precipitating event of failure on a test, but one's uh, locus of control directly correlates to how you respond to it. Parental skills, parental supervision, strong social supports, community engagement are all protective factors. Risk factor, on the other hand, is defined, defined as a characteristic at the biological, psychological, family, community, or cultural level that proceeds and is associated with a higher likelihood of problem outcomes. And your risk factors can uh, be with you, and this is particularly talking about our youth, but the individual, family, peer, community, and what's going on in, in the society are all risk factors. Other risk factors, negative attitude, values or beliefs, low self-esteem, drug, alcohol, or sovereign abuse, poverty, children of parents in conflict with the law, homelessness, presence of neighborhood crime, early and repeated antisocial behavior, and a lack of positive role models. Children who win, witness vi uh, violence. So now we're talking about trauma and how much trauma is around me. And there's a sustained trauma that some of our children and adults live in, and that is a big risk factor. Lack of services, underemployment or unemployment, family distress, racism, mental or physical illness, low literacy, leaving institutional or government care such as a child aging out of foster care or someone who is re-entering the community after correctional facility and family violence. These are all risk factors. Okay, just a different kind of graphic, but again, protective factors on the individual level, control over one's own life, a sense of cohesion with others, close relationships with competent adults, connections to pro-social organizations, tolerance for delayed gratification, and a sense of humor. Conversely, on the risk factors at an individual level, little sense of control over one's life, poor self-control, negative emotionality, a need for immediate gratification. In the family level, whether or not they're good parenting skills, trusting relationships, well-defined family roles and responsibilities, or are there opportunities to learn to deal with criticism, rejection, and silence in a way that doesn't undermine sense of self, 
Um, I like to talk about parents creating a win-win situation, modeling communication and parenting with their children so that their children don't always feel like the parent is right and they are wrong. Other factors in the family that are risk factors, parental or sibling drug abuse, poor child rearing and socialization practice, ineffective parental supervision, family discord, marital discord, domestic violence, abuse, and neglect. On a community level, the individual's participation in school, work, and community has, with an internal locus of control, a sense of belonging and contributing, a social network of peers, and an opportunity to learn how to handle challenges. If your community has limited resources, low socioeconomic status, and lack the ability uh, or resources to reach out to those in need for assistance, this is going to affect the family, the child, and this is going to be a risk factor. So resilience. What resilience is what makes the difference. Because if I'm resilient, if the people around me are resilient and know how to nurture that in me, it doesn't matter what the risk factors are because I have resilience tied to my protective factors. So parents can introduce resilience by the way that they parent. It can be developed. And if it's not created in those early years of life, it can be created later. So again, resilience, it has to, it, it's looking at the individual, the family, and the community factors. And some of us can identify with a student or a young person who didn't, whose family didn't seem to have it all together, had lots of challenges, but a mentor or teacher or somebody, or perhaps one parent in the family infused something in the child and nurtured something. And so that's the beginning of resilience. Resilience is supported by protective factors and it, it enhances one's ability to bounce back. But on the other hand, resilience is reduced by risk factors. And it puts an individual in jeopardy of developing a mental or substance use disorder or otherwise not recovering from a challenge such as a, nat a natural disaster, or we can say COVID-19. Although a single protective or risk factor may not impact a person's resilience, a combination of risk factors can overwhelm an individual and make it difficult to cope. And so if you're at that level where you're having trouble coping, but if there's a village around you, if there's someone you can go to, then you have a better likelihood of a good outcome. Several protective factors, on the other hand, can bolster a person's ability to handle challenging circumstances. So role modeling for resilience. When a parent shows affection and attention, kids learn to feel loved and connected and have a sense of self-worth. It breaks my heart sometimes when I'm out in the community and I hear, hear a parent who 
has not had experiences that cause them to be resilient talking to a young child and the way that they're talking to the child or they're cursing the child, how in the world is that child going to develop a sense of worth and self-esteem? Sometimes I see those circumstances and I think some therapist is gonna encounter that child later. And that's a good outcome because then we have an opportunity to rework and pour back into. When a parent listens and understands, the kid feels understood and accepted and learns to begin to develop empathy and to understand others. When a parent stays calm, kids learn to calm themselves and handle stressful situations. Okay, so I'm gonna get on my own soapbox right here. When a child, a baby, an infant is three, four, five months old and crying in the crib and the parental ex, uh, expectation is that the child will soothe itself. We learn from Eric Erickson, Eric, Eric, I'm sorry, Eric Erickson, that that first level trust versus mistrust a child has to know that if I cry, I will be comforted. Someone will come to my rescue. The child just went from being inside mother's belly, hearing all of her digestive things going on, hearing her heartbeat, always having noise around them, hearing voices. We have the child, we have this beautiful nursery, this crib, and we put the child in a room that's quiet and we wonder why the child cries. The child has never been in silence before. That silence can become the child's first trauma and how a parent responds to a crying baby at one month, two months, three months determines how that child starts out life and how they move on to the next stage of development. And so there's a part of me that cringes when I hear mother saying that a, a four week old baby is spoiled and crying and just wants to be held. Yes, hold the baby, pick the baby up, love the baby, nurture the baby, because it's because of someone will come to my rescue, even though they can't think that, it's intuition and instinctive. When that happens, that someone comes to my rescue, I can therefore begin to learn how to soothe myself. All right, that's the end of my soapbox. If a parent shows patience, the child learns to wait and develop patience, which ties into uh, delayed gratification. When the parent stops and rethinks, then the child can stop and rethink and be creative problem solvers, but we have to create a safe environment for the child to do that and not feel like they're a personal failure because they didn't get something right. When a parent shows positive outlook, the child learns to appreciate the positives in life and look at that optimism and hope begins to develop in the child. When a parent views mistakes as okay, the kids learn to see mistakes as part of a learning experience and try new things. I frequently say 
about uh, my son. When he was a young child, I would feel like I was on a game show because sometimes he had a hard time letting me know he had made a mistake. And so he will say something and I'd be the talk show host and I go, is that your final answer, man? Is there something else you need to tell me? And as he was able to give me a fuller picture and acknowledge mistakes, he actually got less of a consequence because I was trying to reward truth telling rather than punishing the behavior that I didn't want. I didn't want to highlight that negative behavior. I wanted to reinforce and encourage what I wanted to see more of. When a parent keeps trying, the child learns to keep trying to achieve goals. I am so uh, impressed with adult students who go back to school and get a degree when their child's in school. They're modeling for their child. It's never too late to stop developing and growing and learning. That's a marvelous thing in my sight when we're uh, modeling those kinds of things. When a parent learns to see strengths, they will, the child will see their own strengths and feel confident. When a parent takes responsibility and is involved in their child's life, the child learns to be responsive and involved and also feels like they belong. So just a warning for those of us, perhaps A-type personalities. We know that we can do some things that affect our lives we see a goal, we approach it, but too much of a good thing like one's strength can also become one's weakness. Too much internal locus of control, we begin to blame ourselves for bad events or have the illusion that we have the power to prevent bad events. So there's some balance there. We need to know we're in control, but we also need to test irrational thoughts and avoid taking on the blame of things that aren't our fault, okay? On the other side, with an external locus of control, too much of it, the, pers the person, as I was saying, isn't present in their own life. They lose initiative. They lose motivation to achieve. They have more anxiety about what might happen to them. They don't bother developing willpower. And again, if you go back and look at some of Jawanza's Kung, Jawanza Kung Fu, Kung Ju Fu's, that's K-U-N-J-U-F-U. If you look at some of his writings, and it was really interesting because he talked about the role that mothers play in the conspiracy. Now, I had, I heard him in person several times and I had to acknowledge that I was a part of the conspiracy. I had raised my daughter, but I was loving my son. I wasn't teaching him how to be independent, a good father, a good provider. And I had to ask myself, why am I still doing this boy's laundry when at this age, his sister was doing her laundry? Why haven't I taught him to sew a button on his shirt, which is why he was living in the dorm at college and would bring me something and say, mom, can you sew this up? I was like, I failed as a mother. I didn't teach him how to sew his own buttons on. 
And so recently, he's 27 now, and I was like, okay, you know how to sew a button on, right? And I kind of talked him through it. But again, if we have an open mind, and going back to that previous slide, if I'm willing to stop, rethink, view mistakes as okay, meaning my mistakes as well, and show patience, I can help model to my child how to get over hurdles. And then lastly, we can build resilience. How do we do it? We learn to take care of ourselves. We learn to have active problem skills, problem solving skills. If you feel like you need to tweak your problem solving skills, Google it, Google resilience. If you feel like you haven't found your meaning and your purpose yet in life, take a class, take an online class, you know, in something that is sounds good to you or creative. Learn how to nurture yourself and find your own meaning as opposed to people defining you and finding uh, meaning for you. Have a good network of social support and try to maintain a positive outlook. And one of the things I frequently work with people who have anxiety, what do you have control over? What do you not have control over? You may be concerned about all of this stuff over here, but worrying about it when you have no control over it will keep you spinning out. Whereas the things I do have control over, the things that I can make happen for myself, learning to make, make baby steps and make that happen. So again, it may sound silly, but how one responds to a pesky little roach may be an indicator of something else going on. Thank you. Just a second while I recreate our room here. So when I um, think, they, oh, I know what I'm doing. Okay. So uh, did you guys have any questions while I try to reconstruct this uh, this set here? Well, let me see if I can. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to one of my kids' principals some years ago, and she said, and you tell me if I'm right on base about this or not. She said that they determine what kind of jail space they need when they take it, look at their child's reading levels after the third grade. Oh, Have wow. Have you heard that or known that to be true at all? Or it made me think about that when you said that, uh, when you talked about that African guy and his book about destroying the black males and. They come up to kindergarten, they raise a hand, but by third grade, they're sitting in the back of the room and they're not giving any response. Yeah, yeah. I think that systemically, how we teach kids, what we reinforce in kids, it all has a play. And there's a, a book I recently read called Understanding People, and it talks about how uh, moral, cognitive, and uh, um, Piaget and Erickson's stages of development, 
how all of those impacts and what's happening developmentally at each stage. And so if we arm ourselves with a basic understanding about what's going on with our kids, then we can learn how to nurture them and give them what they need during certain phases. But I don't doubt that that's true, that there's somebody out there because they keep bringing building jails, right? And all these other things. So I, yeah. they, they're making that determination on something. Hmm. So um, one thing that you said really caught my attention that schools were designed to cater to girls. Yeah, sit still, focus, or even the activities that they're doing in kindergarten, right? They're the cutting, the coloring inside the lines because we get praised for coloring inside the lines. But girls develop fine motor skills before boys do. Boys are doing the gross motor skills. They're running, they're jumping, they're flipping, and they tend to develop those skills first and the fine motor skills secondly but the girls are the opposite. So, mm -hmm. so do we need to re-examine uh, how we've structured uh, organ or organized learning? Um, I think that there's no harm in that whatsoever. And the people um, here um, in St. Louis, they couldn't get enough of Jawanda Kungjufu because he was out of um, Chicago and he was a publisher of Afro-American cultural books and history. Um, he even wrote a book in response to how Stella got her groove back. Um, he wrote a book on and charged mothers with finding a male that's safe for your child to be around, that's going to mentor your child and going to teach your child the things that you simply cannot do based on your gender. Gender, And I'm not saying, because uh, I was a single parent after divorce, and so mothers know how to make it happen for their babies, male and females. But at some point, we have to create a village, and that village should uh, include trustworthy males that we know our children are safe with, that they can learn things about how to do it. I mean, I was there, right? I don't like worms, but, you know, in, in the Cub Scouts, I was baiting the hook, you know, because this was my baby. But there might have been a male around that could have introduced my child to fishing, and then I wouldn't have to be traumatized by the worm in the hook. <laughs> Did you have something, Warren? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was just curious. Um, on the um, the locus of control, does it mm -hmm. tend to vary much from one ethnicity or uh, and culture to another? It has the potential because when we talked about it, it's happening at it's developing it or not the mm -hmm. resiliency on an individual, a family, and um, and a community level. You can have everything going wrong. Have you ever heard those examples where somebody says, we were poor, but I didn't know it until I became an adult? Because 
because all needs were met attacked emotionally and the child was nurtured. So you can be in the middle of a war zone and yes, there's gonna be trauma about what's happening in the streets, but there's something that the parents can do to nurture resiliency and develop uh, protective factors inside of their child. So uh, the one slide talked about how kind of an aggregate number of risk factors can make it difficult for one to cope. But if you have a village, then someone else can help you cope. You're not left alone out there by yourself. Okay. I noticed you're a pretty big supporter of that uh, village theory. Yes, yes. I also feels like it takes a village to develop whatever you are vocationally because you need people around you that will support you on your job, challenge you, mentor you. So I often say it takes a village to raise a good social worker. So whatever it is, because I really believe that no man is an island and the people who are women who are islands are suffering and they need somebody to come alongside and journey with because isolation is very powerful. And when someone is left to their own devices and reasoning, then there's a potential to get off track. Gotcha. So, uh, so I did want to just go back. One of the things that ideas that I have held onto and, and am willing to re-examine right here is that I believe that it takes a man uh, in the life of a male child to help bring about a better outcome for um, raising a man. So basically it takes a, it takes a man to raise a man while a, a mother can do certain things. She can't be a man in, in a sense. Am I, am I off? Do I need to uh, re-examine that? Um, well, I think it's what I said earlier. Um, you know, as my son was growing up, I had some pretty awkward conversations for me, but I had to answer his questions about his biology, his biology and what was going on with him because his father was not around. But I'm also fortunate that he's had males around him. I got him. I think you're right, Leon, a male needs to be involved. And so as a single parent, when my church started the Sons of Alpha and Omega, and there were men that I trusted, I would take my son to those meetings and I would help him feel connected and joined to other people. Even now as a 20 something male, there are males that I know that are still mentoring him that I'm appreciative of that because I know there are things that uh, a male can say and do that will help him much more than me. But I laid a good foundation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> for, for, for those people who aren't aware, Kim and I have known each other since uh, 1974. So, um, so there's a level of familiarity there. Uh, just so you know. Um, uh, do you have another question, Leonard? Not at the time. Okay. <laughs> Not at this time. So one of the things that, and the reason I ask is that I've got like this laundry list of stuff, which I probably won't get through all of them. But um, so, so 
your, your presentation was basically about individuals. It was basically about an individual child, individual parent, and parenting as a whole and children as a, as a whole, but uh, it focused mainly on individuals. Um, can a community, while you did mention racism, uh, can racism and, and the trauma that the community as a whole experienced create this group um, internal external locust dynamic? Yes, for sure. If there is no balance, if, if it, you're short on individual and family dynamics that build resilience and all you have is the chaos in the streets and the drive-by shooting, again, if somebody doesn't step up and help that child, that young adult navigate that, then they're left to the streets and to believe that it really doesn't matter. It's, it's hard to argue, right, if by sitting on my front porch, I have a certain percentage of odds of being uh, the victim of a, of a drive-by shooting, it can be hard for me to believe I have very much control over my life. But if, if others of us are doing things to promote that idea, then we can provide some balance and help the, the child, the young adult figure what it is they can have control over and how they can be successful. And so, and so I guess kind of where I was going with the question is, I think we have a large number of young African-American men and women who feel helpless or that they can't do anything. So like uh, you hear a lot of, uh, I hear several black people say, Voting doesn't matter. They're going to do mm -hmm. what they want to anyway. So, so that is internalized from somewhere. Mm -hmm. If, mm -hmm. if, so, so racism has, so I'm asking, I guess, the trauma of racism because there, there are a lot of black people that vote. They, they, they get out, they believe, uh, it, it, whether they think their vote is gonna make, make a, a huge amount of difference or nothing, they get out and vote. Uh, but there are a number that don't believe that voting is going to matter. And so, and so I, I, don't, I, my, I guess my question is, while their parents may have an impact and influence, uh, the overall system can also have a equal or greater impact or influence. Would that be? For sure. Yes. Like I really appreciate the work that Barack and Michelle Obama are doing with capturing high school students and developing a sense of political strategy and, and, and um, know-how so that these young people began to see that grassroots efforts 
can have efficacy. And, but we also have to have interventions at certain levels. We need to continue to challenge the electoral college and how it is in states such as ours where the electoral votes don't go to the popular vote candidate. So we have to address things. All these years later, after Mike Brown, we now have an African-American male. We have an, a female, rather, as a mayor. We have African-American prosecuting attorney. So people getting in office that either look like me or understand my issues and have my issues as a part of their agenda can help move the conversation forward. So yes, um, society, the community, they have roles to play and we have to challenge the status quo and we have to find ways. I remember Judge Sandra Hiphill, who's a member of my church, would um, talk about these groups that they were having after uh, uh, Ferguson where they were, were inviting people who had had exposure to uh, the justice system to come and talk about that and the changes that need to happen. So we, we have to be present and active in our own lives. And sometimes that knowledge comes later as an adult. And sometimes we're instilled with that growing up to know that we can make a difference. Um, but it, it has to happen on all those levels I was talking about. So, so the, the resilience also, and in, in as far as the community goes, um, how, okay, so a large, an individual is difficult to, to make changes uh, just at, from on a, on a level, uh, and that becomes exponentially harder with the more number of people that have to make that adjustment. Um, how, so there are people who are making the, who, who are helping uh, become resilient by showing the way um, to make those changes, to think positively. We've got um, activists who are out uh, marching, who are leading demonstrations who are enacting conversations to try to uh, get people involved, to get momentum moving in a direction where we can heal some of the uh, difficulty or some of the trauma that has been experienced. Um, for a population such as uh, the black community, do you have any idea of how long that would take, what, what that would uh, entail, and, and how best to approach it. Um, so kind of basic social work talks about the individual and how you have to work with the individual and you have to work with the system that the individual is found in. So that's family, however that's defined for them. And then that's community. So how do I get from point A to point B? What needs to happen? How can I empower people? Because it's really hard when um, 
the family, the community and society has failed so worldly that I see in front of me a person who doesn't believe that anything they do helps or a person who has no hope and is simply dejected. And so um, some of the work I began to do is um, there's something called ANTS, Automatic Negative Thoughts. So I began in my work to challenge people's automatic negative thoughts, that narrative that's going on in your head that says, why try? Nothing works. Um, I can't have any control. And I help them clinically to identify something that they can have control over. And then we take these steps where they start seeing that, yes, I can make things happen. And you, you hopefully get them to start believing and having hope and having faith in oneself so that they can move forward and do some of the things that you know that they're capable of doing. But it can be an uphill battle when, uh, when systems, community, and society have really failed the individual to start to build that resilience. That, uh, so that really showed light to me. Um, so psychology deals with the individual. Mm -hmm. um, and so even though the community has been impacted at this particular point, it's still going to be on an individual basis that we implement change uh, for the community as a whole. Well, I, I think that we need to hit it with more than just the individual level. In, in therapy, I may invite the family in. And if the family isn't who we would normally identify, who's important to this person sitting in front of me? Whose opinion do they value? Who's nurtured them? How can we activate that person to be part of this person's change? And then when we get them involved in community groups uh, that are, are moving forward and building resilience in individuals, then hopefully it happens on more than one level at a time. Very good. Um, I've got a few more, but I'm not gonna uh, hog up all the microphones. Any one of my, my other two co-hosts have any additional questions before we, we terminate this, this uh, wonderful session? What was that author's name again from Chicago you, you, you mentioned? It's Juwanza Kongjufu. His last Juwanza name is Kongjufu. Uh -huh. His last name is K-U-J-U-F-U. K-U-J-U-F-E. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you. I want to research. Oh, I have to. I have to. Uh, I shared these books with Leon earlier. I've just okay. purchased two books. One is called White Rage, which talks about the, uh, and we'll talk about this on, on the other show, um, the the anger and the frustration um, you sometimes have other cultures responding with at the advancement of others who don't look like them that there's this anger that it's visceral it's it's it seems like it's almost in the atmosphere at times 
this anger and this outrage toward African-Americans who are moving forward and making things happen. It helps me understand why some people could be so angry and frustrated by Barack Obama. I heard someone say, how dare he think he could be president? Well, why not? You know, but that, that thought, you know, and the other book is White Fragility. And it's about how people who are um, of that uh, mainstream culture can think that the advancement of one people is taking something away from them rather than realizing that there's room at the table for everyone. Okay. <laughs> I have I interesting wanna... points on that, but like you say, that's another. Well, that's the, that's, that's the conversation. That's the conversation we're working on with Michael and Michael. Yeah. The, okay. the, the, the society and um, politics. And right. that's this discussion she's talking about um, mm -hmm. where, you know, what's going on today? How, how are, so there are a lot of things that are going on in our society that are both political and social. And, and most things are, but I mean, mm -hmm. uh, on a, on a large scale, um, everything's being um, merged together. So right. politics and, and societal behavior are mm -hmm. now almost indistinguishable. Yeah. And so um, having a discussion uh, about those two and understanding where we are. Um, so we're, we're talking about changing police culture. We're talking about um, changing the meaning of what a statue is. So we're seeing a, a statue is a, a place of honor. Well, a, a statue could be um, a cautionary tale, but we're yeah. redefining all of that. And yeah. so right now, my thought is, because we haven't had a discussion, right. um, we could tear down a lot of things that maybe aren't that serious. And, and here's one I'll give you. Um, and I was going to save this for the discussion, but I'm, I'm just going to throw this tidbit out here and then I'm going to uh, end the show uh, on a cliffhanger, so to speak. <laughs> John Wayne mm -hmm. made some very disparaging remarks. But John Wayne, but tell me what racist things John Wayne did. What he actually did? What he actually did. Uh, I really don't know what he did. I just heard, heard some things about him. But because of the, the remarks he made. We are in a country where free speech is encouraged. And then if we punish free speech, then we're doing it um, at the detriment of what we supposedly believe in. If you have no way, if you have nothing that says John Wayne did anything racist, he's entitled to say the craziest things he wants to say. Mm -hmm. And then making him a villain 
does not benefit our cause because he didn't he didn't own slaves we have no um, evidence at least I haven't seen any and I've looked I haven't seen any evidence of where he took any racist actions because racism um, is a is a an exertion of power mm-hmm his language may not necessarily have been a, an exertion of power. So taking his name off everything is, a, is futile. But that's part of what you mentioned earlier where you say they're re-examining everything. I understand like that. A lot of, like a lot of bases, military bases were named after uh, generals that were in the Confederacy. But those generals in the Confederacy actually killed people for racist behavior. I agree they with did that. Something. I agree with that, but that was part of that's part of reexamining everything. I understand. So that. along with along with the Confederate generals mm-hmm. is along with what John Wayne said. Like you said, all his comments were just that comments. Uh, what comments? And what he said about homosexual uh, homosexuals in that same Playboy interview against people of that lifestyle. And he and he in that part, his son said was a reaction to the Hollywood that had become at that point in his life compared to the Hollywood where he started. And that was the basis of a lot of his racist sentiments. And I agree with you. He may not have done nothing racist himself, but that was his sentiments. Especially when you say, when he said that the blacks needed to get to a point of being better educated to handle the freedom that they were asking for. Well, they were being denied that freedom in the first place because of what other people actually did. Did. And that and that's all I'm saying is did. And, and and he and he said if you were to read that interview, it would lead you to believe that's what he supported, that he believes that. So now they're coming after everybody that shows support for that. Because people like him, who were major opinion makers in his day, he was he was a major opinion maker. People acted that had authority based upon what someone like him thought. I'm not saying I agree with it, but what I'm saying is So so you he, so you agree that they should remove his name from the airport because of what he said? I well only thing I'm saying is he is in that part where they're re examining everything. Well we're we're not re examining things right everything. now. What, what's happening is when you yank down a statue, mm-hmm. when you, yeah. there's, there's been no discussion about having that statue removed. Those people took those statues well, down. They made the decision. Well, the discussion, the discussions happened before and the people in authority said, no, we're not doing it. Just like what's happening with the Mississippi state flag. The original state of Mississippi flag didn't have the, the, the Confederate Portion of but the, they're having that discussion and, now in the in the Mississippi legislature 
because I think they, they've decided to. They voted. They voted for it. They, right. they decided that, to and have that, a discussion. And that was the. Then that's the proper forum. They had the discussion. In, they made the decision, right. and then they took action. And what I'm saying is, we're we're having mm-hmm. uh, uh, so a lot of vitriol and 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 effort is being put into removing John Wayne was was not you you can't prove he was a racist what you can prove is the statements that he made were offensive so now, so why what I'm saying so is because if, of that but but if because of that so are you going to so are you going to remove everybody that has offensive comments I'm not saying that I'm not saying you remove it I don't I don't have anything against keeping his name on that airport. If that's what the people in in charge of Orange County decide to do, that's what they decide to do. The people of Mississippi, when it was up for vote a few years ago, 75% voted to keep that flag the way it is. Okay, but now, because people kept saying, no, we're not satisfied with that. They went through the legislature, like you said, the appropriate forum, and the governor said he'll sign the bill, and he did, I believe, that they're going to talk about it. They're going to set up a commission about it. They haven't decided to change it yet, like they did South Carolina. The, again, they were told by the authorities, no, we're keeping it the same way. We want this to represent, and, and my thing with the Confederate flag is not so much about the racist end of it. Slavery was a horrible system. But the Confederacy is an entity that declared war on America. Okay, and so they we're gonna fired the first shot. I, so we're gonna it. save this. We're gonna save this for <laughs> we'll save this for another time. We're gonna save this another for time. that discussion that we have specifically designed for that. Right. Before we go. Okay. And and so um, I so I, so I am I am looking forward to this discussion because I I, I think uh, we we do need to have this discussion and it, and before we start taking actions to tear down statues and remove monuments and um, and and change holidays um, and don't forget rename the city of St Louis renaming the city That's of St Louis before we start yeah. doing that. You know, yeah. it, we we should be having a broader discussion about where we're gonna go because. So anyway, I'm gonna leave it at that point. Okay. Right. I want to thank right. you very much for joining me this afternoon, and we will be back next week. All right. All right. That concludes this episode, and thank you thank for you. listening. This podcast is designed for live listener interaction. Visit the website thelionsdenstl.wixsite.com slash home for details about how to join the conversation. The video version of Altitude Adjustment is available on YouTube. Search for Lions Den STL. And the audio podcast is available on Stitcher.com, Anchor.fm, the iTunes Store, and the Google Play Music Store, to name a few. Look for Altitude Adjustment where you get your podcast and consider making a contribution by visiting anchor.fm slash altitude dash adjustment to remember the internet is powered by your likes shares and comments so please like share and comment on this and other episodes because it matters as always be cool be calm and above all be careful look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you <laughs>